For us to achieve the most at work and to be the happiest at work, we need to focus on positive connecting. Um, and there's really three elements of that, which is when we're struggling or when we're unsure, we should ask people for help. We also need to always be scanning for people in our work environment that might need help because there's a lot of evidence on pro-social behavior. Like if you help someone, not only does it help them be more successful and elevates their well-being at work, you actually get a big lift in your well-being when you help someone else. And then, and then last is creating an environment of just positive um, interactions. Hello and welcome to the Making Better podcast, where we talk about making ourselves, our teams, and our organizations better. Whether you are a business leader, a talent development professional, or an individual contributor, this show will give you actionable insights to help improve your own performance and the performance of those around you. Today, we are talking to Jill Schulman. Jill is a former Marine Corps officer who, for the last decade, has been helping organizations create evidence-based leadership development programs that drive results. She just completed her master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, so that is what we are going to be talking about today. In this episode, we are going to talk about what positive psychology is and how it differs from self-help, why Jill prefers the term the science of sustained peak performance, and make sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear the three key things your organization needs to start doing today to apply the lessons of positive psychology to improve results. Before we get to the discussion, I need to remind everyone new to the show to make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss a future episode. If you are already subscribed, then I want to ask you to share this show with at least one other person because that is how we grow. I can't tell you how much it means to me. So with that, let's get into the show. So Jill, I know you started in the Marine Corps and now you're you spend all your time working on positive psychology. Did you get the positive psychology from the Marine Corps? Was that a, was that a big thing? <laughs> um, you know what? No. However, it's interesting. As we get into it, like there's some things that make the Marine Corps so special that really do tie into positive psychology. Like if you think of the camaraderie that we feel in the Marine Corps, like that sense of connection. You know, you talk to any Marine and like they're so proud of, of being a Marine because of that camaraderie and that you're, as we talk more about what positive psychology is, we'll talk about community and feeling of belonging. So that's there. And then probably the other, you know, tie-in that I think this kind of definitely shaped me as a person and maybe I was like this before the Marine Corps, but I mean, it teaches you to, to persevere, to be resilient, to be tough, develop grit and all that stuff. And that sure, is part sure. of positive psychology. So there are some some tie-ins tie there, but yeah, it's not about happy, clappy and <laughs> joy and butterflies and rainbows in the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like a lot of things though. I do think there's a lot of probably misdefinitions of a lot of this kind of stuff. So, so then let's, let's start there. Since you just got your master's in positive psychology, what for, cause I, I do think a lot of people, you hear that and it can sound pretty woo woo, yeah. um, you know, so how do you, how do you describe positive psychology? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. Cause that is so important that people know what it is. Cause especially when people know me, cause I'm, you know, I've been known as someone who drives results and, you know, I'm pretty intense about, you know, developing leadership skills and culture, you know, so like, Jill, what is with this positive psychology? And, um, and so thank you for an opportunity to define it. So it's not, yeah. it's not 
the woo-woo. It's not Pollyanna. It is really positive psychology is the science of elevating happiness and well-being in individuals, in, in teams, in organizations, even in society. And um, I will steal this example from Dr. Marty Seligman, who is really the founder of the positive psychology movement. He is at UPenn. He's still a professor. He, he, yeah. he taught my, you know, our classes. You know, I had so many conversations with him, but he, he came up with a great way of really explaining what positive psychology is and, and differentiating it from just psychology. Um, so, so if you think of psychology, like what psychology traditionally is focused on is what is, what potentially can make someone unhappy or unwell. It's really focused on mental illness or what yeah. you know, pathology, like someone who's you know, clinically depressed or anxious or schizophrenic, you know, really focused on like what's wrong with people who are not well. And then what can we do that's evidence-based to try to get them just okay so they're not miserable. So if you think of a spectrum, yeah. like negative 10 being the, the, the most unwell people, you know, to like get them to zero. We just want, we want to help these people so they're not miserable. So that part of yeah. psychology is so important um, and, and we need it, right? But positive psychology is not any of that. It's really the, the scientific study of taking people that are okay or maybe even consider themselves happy, but how can they elevate it to a higher level? So let's take, you know, Matt, maybe if you did kind of a, an instrument to kind of measure your level of well-being, you're on the positive side, yeah. like a plus three. But would you be interested in learning the evidence-based strategies that can get you from a plus three to a plus six or a plus eight? And really it's this measure of well-being and happiness. So positive psychology stays on that, on the positive side. It, it looks at everyone in the world. We're not just focusing on the people who are not well. It really focuses on yeah. everyone and going, how can we elevate well-being and happiness? Which I think is a pretty noble you know, endeavor. Like, why would we focus only on what makes people sick and to take away sickness? Why wouldn't we want to focus on, on well-being? Yeah, for sure. It remind as you're talking about that, it really reminds me of what people sometimes say about the healthcare system in the U.S. of how it very often isn't seen as a healthcare system, but more of a sick care system because it, it's exactly to your point. It's about something is wrong. How do we make you? How do we make it not wrong? Versus nothing's wrong, but you can be better. And so, yes. You know, how do we focus on that better portion? That's interesting. I love that analogy because the absence of disease does not mean someone is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> really healthy. And really the absence of depression doesn't necessarily mean happiness or joy, right? Yeah. And then even in organizations, because of course I focus on applying positive psychology in organizations. So the 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 absence of workplace dissatisfaction and disengagement does not necessarily mean people are thriving and are highly engaged at work. So mm -hmm. I love that you brought in, you know, that analogy. And if we take it a step further, like people who are the healthiest, like physically, like, you know, they're, you know, they're not just going in because they're sick, but if people who really take their health seriously and do everything they can to be as healthy as possible, then they're, they're more, they'd be more apt to be able to overcome, you know, sickness and disease. Sure. They'd be more robust. So there's one area where I think psychology and positive psychology kind of overlap where if people really focus on elevating their well-being and their happiness getting on that positive side of the spectrum it actually protects or buffers them against what could make them sick right so mm. there's a lot of analogies to healthcare yeah where do you think you know kind of when i ask the question of the that definitional question 
mentioning kind of, you know, some people might have a woo-woo kind of idea of it. I don't know. And you're, as you've explored it, where, where does, where do you think that comes from? Why, why is it seen as so strange to want to be your best self or something? Well, I think that the difference here is, I mean, there's, first of all, there's like self-help, which is like be your best self. And then there's the science of positive psychology. And there are okay. some differences there. So we can talk about the differences there. Like, I mean, that would be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, self-help, so many self-help books are amazing and they help people, you know, identify what's important and develop some plans. But a lot of self-help books are not rooted in evidence. It's people's personal opinions based on, in my experience, here's what made me really happy and successful. So do what I did, right? Sure. Um, you know, so self-help is really not scientifically validated or empirically validated. Yes. Whereas positive psychology is the scientific study of elevating well-being. And there's sometimes, you know, a positive psychologist can make a hypothesis and they find they do an experiment, an empirical study, and they realize that they were actually wrong. This thing that they thought would make people happier don't. So yeah. that's a big difference between positive psychology and non-evidence-based like self-help. And I can use the example of a book called The Secret. And I might offend some of your listeners because <laughs> a lot of people have read the book, The Secret, and believe that manifesting is a secret to happiness. But And I know there's some controversy around that book. There is. There it is. And I would just simply say is there's not evidence to substantiate or it hasn't been you know repeatedly validated. So yeah. I think it's a nice thought. And I think creating a future self and thinking about what you want as long as it's followed by action. And that's kind of what is missing. But, you know, um, so that's really the differentiation. Like, I mean, I'm, okay. I'm really evidence-based. Everything I do with yeah. my clients is all right. Like, okay, there's this leadership theory, like show me the money, like show me the evidence. Like how do we know with pretty great certainty that if this intervention or this training that we do with employees or, you know, with leaders, it's, we can be confident it's going to make an impact. So that's one differentiation. And then the last thing that just comes to mind is some people think of toxic positivity, right? Yeah. I mean, Matt, like, oh gosh, like, I mean, you don't want someone who's like so positive all the time. Like, oh my gosh, like we've got challenges here at work. And so positive psychology is not toxic positivity. I mean, if someone is so positive all the time that they can't see the challenges, then that's that's not good for business and it's not, it's not helpful. Thriving. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's definitely not Pollyanna and, and toxic positivity. In fact, when you look at the way that well-being is measured with individuals, and then this would carry over to organizations, um, there's only one out of the five elements, according to Marty Seligman's model, that talks about like being smiling and being in a good mood. So that's hmm. one fifth of well-being is that positive affect or like being happy in the moment. It's a very small part of it. I mean, I mean, if you ask people too, like what makes you happy in life? What what are the things that if you look back at your life or your career and you say, wow, you know, I had the best life ever, or the best career ever, you know, smiling and laughing is going to be part of it, right? But it's not the whole thing. So there's this, yeah. so there's this PERMA model. P P stands for positive affect or positivity. So it's part of it. Um, and Barbara, Barbara, Barbara Fredrickson um, is one of the leading researchers on it. And it's absolutely, there's a lot of evidence on why that's really important for individuals and businesses and how it can expand, you know, positive, you know, 
you know, cognition. Uh, There's so many benefits. So positivity is important, but it's only one fifth. And then, you know, the E in PERMA, it stands for engagement or it's what Chisink Mihai calls flow, right? And a lot of people know that. Um, The R in PERMA is relationships or connections with others. I mean, the quality of our relationships is is critical for that. Then um, the M is meaning or mattering, and then finally, yeah. it is accomplishment. So, you know, if you think of all that, if people just understand, like, what is, what is really the the aim of positive psychology to elevate well being? Only one fifth of it is is woo woo, <laughs> or it would be yeah. like, happy yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of that model. That's that's really interesting. And so, so this is Marty Seligman, Seligman's yeah. work. You said, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. interesting. It, it almost, I wonder it. it We'll have to get into it a little bit more because it almost makes reminds me of uh, what is it like the big five um, in in just psych- psychology like the ocean what is it called ocean like the um, have you ever heard of that it's like the the big five personality traits or it's like oh, a it's a very yeah. evidence backed mm-hmm. um, it's like you know uh, openness and and conscientiousness like those right. big factors mm-hmm. it's a very rigorously evidence backed. Uh, kind of model that no one uses. <laughs> and the reason is because it's pure research-based. It's not like owned by anybody, yeah. whereas DISC or, um, you know, any of those kinds yeah. of are, are owned by people. And so they're out there selling it and pitching it and, and yeah. you know, there's advertising behind it. And so I, I wonder it's if there's any of that with that. this there's a benefit yeah. to that. In fact, you know what you're making me think of? At one point, we were in one of this is one of my classes at UPenn, you know, and and one of the discussions or we we're having in class is like the the ethics of positive psychology. And someone basically suggested that you know making money or being profitable, um, you know, by helping people like elevate their happiness and well being was just not the right thing to do. And and I tell you, there was quite a discussion on it, but I took a really, you know, strong stance of, of, of basically claiming the opposite. In fact, I made it yeah. one, of my, one, of, one of my papers I wrote for that class, you know, really thinking that if, if, if we can help people and organizations elevate their well-being to drive results, so you've got thriving people, which means thriving teams and thriving organizations. So if you make the organization more successful and 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 more profitable, like we should be able to be a for-profit business. So I think that you know making a profit means that we're doing it right. You know we're we're doing a great job of helping people understand what positive psychology is, and then what are some ways that we can bring it into organizations that are going to drive the bottom line. So so um, so yeah, that, that that definitely hits like a little bit of a nerve because I'm like, no, you know we should be profitable. So hopefully there's more people like me. Yeah that are kind of bringing this new angle into organizational effectiveness or leadership development. We got to care about this stuff. It's important. Well, yeah. And I I think you're right. You know, there's, you know, it's like that. I think it's like the Winston, Winston Churchill quote about democracy. Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others, you know, (laughs) and like, I'll be the first to say there's, there's tons of problems with capitalism, but there's not really a better system that we've found of like really finding, okay, like what works, what doesn't, what's valued, what's not. Um, So Mm -hmm. I would, yeah, I I definitely see where you're coming from on that. Um, Going back a little bit, you mentioned, you know, your, your whole career, you've been really evidence-based. And so now you're really evidence-based focused with this. I would love if you 
have any, and if you, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'd love some kind of examples of evidence based in this stuff, because at least for me, I have a heck of a time whenever I'm trying to bring psychology into any facilitations or exercises that I'm doing, because, you know, it's, there's so many studies out there that aren't replicable or they're, you know, like a classic one kind of in this positive psychology space is like power poses, how that was like a big thing for a really long time. And then it was like, actually, that's not doing anything, you know. It was a little boo-boo for me too, because that's so so interesting because like I, there's kind of the fluffier side of positive psychology and that's just not me. I'm kind yeah. of like a hard edge business driver of like yeah. positive yeah. psychology. But let me let, let me give you an example then. So, um, you know, and I think I've become more evidence-based, you know, throughout the years, um, yeah. you know, especially I think just because uh, the industry that I've, I've mainly served. So after the Marine Corps, I got into the pharmaceutical, you know, sales industry. Um, and then I also did a little bit of time in the device world. Um, you know, but I think just because I was so trained that anytime you have a discussion with, you know, doctors or thought leaders, you'd really have to know your evidence. You can't, you know, yeah. and so yeah. I think evidence-based medicine growing up kind of, that was kind of my, you know, my, my background. Then I went into leadership development for that pharmaceutical company and it just kind of carried over. Um, but one great example would be like in leadership development, like something that you you were probably taught, I was taught, is the best way to give feedback is to do the feedback sandwich. Like everyone knows, it's just the feedback sandwich. It is definitely not effective. And we absolutely know that. So there's an example where, you know, someone might be really well-intentioned of going like, oh, I want to help everyone to, you know, elevate their leadership effectiveness. We've got to, you know, clear set expectations and give feedback. And they teach the feedback sandwich because there's a lot about written about it, but it's not evidence-based. And so, um, I mean, Adam Grant is also from, you know, UPenn and I mean, he, he wrote this, um, amazing article. And a lot of times I will share it after my sessions. Cause people are like, but no, like, like this is the right way to do it. And he wrote an article that says, please stop serving the feedback sandwich. They don't like it or something like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like there's, 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 there's better ways to provide feedback that are rooted in, in, in psychology in general and, and organizational psychology and positive psychology. So there's an example. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really great example. Um, and then, yeah, let's get into, you know, you you mentioned for a second there kind of your background and you're doing sales and devices and stuff. And then you, but you've been working inside organizations with organizations now on this kind of evidence-based approach towards performance improvement more generally. Mm -hmm. Um, Go into a little bit more of kind of the work that you were doing there and then how that led you into why you landed on positive psychology as kind of the main lever that you wanted to push on. Yeah. Um, all right. So I when I when I first started working in the pharmaceutical industry, um, I gotta admit to you, like, um, I I don't think I was a great leader. I mean, I I killed the results, so they promoted me right away. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of did what I thought was right, and I was probably too much of a driver. Um, I had okay. this example, um, and I'm 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 embarrassed to admit it, but I can be vulnerable here. Like, um, so I used to I used to sell anti-infectives. And this is many many years ago when I first got the Marine Corps and I started carrying a bag. So I was in sales, and I used to. Um, um, I used to work in anti-infective, so I'd sell antibiotics to, you know, doctors that would prescribe it for people who are sick and as you're sick, you know, like something that you would need. So yeah. I used to go above and beyond because I was like, I had grit and I would, I would work on weekends 
and on Friday nights when no other rep would be going out. And then I would be, you know, I would, you know, thank him for working and doing all this. So what differentiated me that allowed me to drive like really high sales was that. So what do you think I did when they promoted me very quickly to become a leader? Wanting to help our peop- my people be as successful as I was. All right, you probably know where it goes. I'm like, yeah, hey, what we're gonna do. We're gonna work weekends. Like, did that? Yeah. Okay, hey, let's have a party. Let's, uh, yeah, let's work it together. Let's get in the trenches yeah, together. Let's do it, right? Um, as much as I was trying to get him excited about it. So, what I what I found is when I started going through leadership development classes, it completely, um, it it really helped me realize that. I was doing it wrong and there was a better way. And so like I benefited so much from all the leadership development that was within my company. I mean, it really, it really stayed with me and it really helped my career. So my last role, um, like in the pharmaceutical industry was actually, you know, doing leadership development internally. And I just kind of found like that was my niche. Like I just absolutely loved it. What is the science behind helping people perform at their best and realizing that there's a lot of leaders out there that are like me? Like we just don't know any better. Like someone who is, you know, like, oh, let's just never give people feedback because they don't want to hear it. Well, that's not what the evidence tells us, right? So I could help all these leaders who have the best of intentions like I did, but to learn what are the things that we know based on evidence are the best behaviors we need to work at in order to get better. So that's kind of how I ended up in, in that space. And then I've been on my own for about 10 years, Breakthrough Leadership Group. Um, and I've continued doing the same thing, but it's been really fun because now I work, you know, really at sometimes the organizational level in developing like talent development strategy for the leaders to really like drive results in the organization. So it's been fun yep. to, I'm still like leading, you know, quite a few workshops and I love it. I love creating those aha moments, but I also get to work more you know, strategically helping an organization really understand like, you know, how can we really elevate performance and what are the things that we're going to, you know, really, you know, what type of a learning journey can we create for leaders so that we can really create, you know, the, the culture and the the leadership skills to drive results. Yeah. And so as a result of kind of diving deeper into positive psychology, are there things you're changing then, like, are there things that you used to try to do with organizations that you're not going to do anymore or put pressure on different ways? Like, yeah. how's, how's it changing your outlook for improving that performance? Yeah. Well, um, I didn't really get, you know, I, I realized I didn't tell you, like, how I got to positive psychology. So then I'll answer no, that. Sure. Perfect. Where, um, at one time, someone, like, sent me a YouTube video or a TED Talk of Sean Acker. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a hard no. guy. And okay. he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. So I just watched this 12 or 13 minute TED talk. And I was just like, he basically t- outlined all the evidence where, you know, he, why caring about happiness at work will drive results. So he, he really l- lined up all the evidence. And I was just like, wow, really? Like, this is something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I watched the TED talk and then I got his book and then he has all the references in the back. Cause I'm like, well, where's the evidence? Like, what is he citing? And then when I, th- so then I just started like, having a blast because I'm super curious of just digging deeper. So I then I read like, you know, Flow by Chisint Mihai and Grit by Duckworth. And I mean, I just started like digging, digging, digging. And I started learning so much. And I'm like, this, there's something to this. This, this is something that can help organizations, you know, get better. And because I was spending so much time learning about it on my own, because I'm like, this is missing in a lot of organizations. We need this. And that's what made me decide to like, well, if I'm spending so much time learning about this. And I really want to master all of this information. Why not go back and learn from 
I mean, the the founder of positive psychology, Marty yeah. Selvin at UPenn. So, yeah. so where I am now, um, because I just finished, you know, earlier this year, is now trying to weave more positive psychology into what I do and really trying to help organizations see the value of doing more. So like I have a vision of what I want to do, but I haven't, I haven't even scratched the surface of what I want to do to bring positive psychology into organizations to drive results. So ask me back, ask me back in two years and then I'll tell you. (laughs) Exactly. That'll be great. Um, And I'm interested when you're you know, you're just scratching that surface, but as you're starting to, and maybe this was happening before, before you did this program, or maybe it's something that's just happening now when you're bringing this up with leaders, because I imagine, you know, like we talked about before, there's some pushback to this stuff. Yeah. Are you leading with the idea of positive psychology or is that something that just kind of almost more sneaks in where it's, it's not like you're trying to hide it. You're not calling it different things, but you just don't like clearly point out that that's what you're teaching. You know, it, if I look at all my, my peers that are, we consider ourselves positive psychology practitioners, there's kind of two different answers there. Some people are going to like, I am proud of this. I lead with it. People are interested in something different. Yep. And then there's the other part, which is if I lead with positive psychology, people are just going to, you know, say, no, thank you. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really careful with the terms that I use. So, um, it, I I really look at it. It's the, the psychology of sustained peak performance. That's really, that's really the aspects of positive Mm. psychology that I look at because as I went through my degree program, I looked at everything through the lens of what can we apply in organizations to drive results? That was my interest. So some of the, some of the woo woo stuff is, is, you know, wasn't, didn't really resonate as, as much with me. And I just, I learned it and then I just kind of, you know, put it aside. So that like the science of sustained high performance or sustained peak performance, or, um, I love the term mental fitness. Um, you know, the reason I like the term mental fitness is trying to convince leaders or just individuals that, Hey, if you want to perform at your best, you know, just use that analogy of like fitness, people get it. You know, if you want to be fit, you don't go into the gym once, you know, you yeah. got to continue to go into the gym. And so when yeah. it comes to the psychology of peak performance, there's things that we need to do to perform at our very best, you know, from a psychological point of view. So I think those are the terms that I use more often with clients because I think it actually better represents what I, yeah. the value I bring to my clients. It is let's build mental fitness to help buffer your organization against, you know, um, burnout or, yeah. you know, or too much stress. Um, how do we help people, you know, perform at their best peak performance, but have it sustained, you know, um, it's not about like working less or having more parties. It's about how do you create an environment where we leverage the science of positive psychology so that we can, we can work, we can achieve even more. So, yeah. So yeah, I'd say I'm, I tend to be on, cause there, there's kind of a debate there too. I don't lead with necessarily positive psychology, um, just because I, I really feel passionate where this is something that organizations can start doing more of to elevate mm-hmm. results, keep, keep, you know, key talent, um, prevent burnout. Um, but calling it like the science of sustained peak performance or mental fitness is going to, it's going to make people more open to listening to it. I think, I think so. That, that makes sense. I can, yeah. Cause I can see there being both a spectrum on the practitioner side and then a spectrum on the organizational side of kind of what they're, what they're ready to receive. 
Beyond just the receiving, though, is there any evidence or research into is it are these principles relatively universal or is there some variation depending on kind of the personalities? Um, And specifically what I'm thinking in, in my mind is I've worked at a lot of organizations with big um, engineering populations. And when I go into those organizations, I am on, honestly like amazed at how brutal they can be to each other in terms of like feedback and like cut to the chase without it actually affecting them. Like they're like, they, they are like many of them. And this is obviously very broad strokes, but just, you know, when I'm talking to, I've seen plenty of engineering interactions where they are just very good at separating like the self from the work. And so they can just have brutal conversations about feedback of like, this was awful. And for some, somehow, like, it's not like the personality just, or or the relationship falls apart because they're able to separate those things. And so I'm, I'm not totally sure what I'm asking here. One, I, I, so two questions. First, what I just described kind of like does, how does that like fit in with positive psychology? And then two, are there personalities, situations, organizations where positive psychology applies differently, I guess? Well, as you shared that example, I wouldn't think that's problematic. Like what you're describing is is really healthy psychological. Safety. Yes, I think. Yes, yep. I think that's right. So I think that's what you want is you want to develop the type of trust and relationships between people that when they're when a project fails, you know, they can all be comfortable sharing what went wrong so they can solve for it in the future. You know, so, you know, you know, part of like, again, the reason why we probably shouldn't always use the word specifically positive psychology, because people would think, oh, positive psychology means that we can't give each other like brutal feedback. We can't, we can't talk about the setbacks. And that is absolutely, you know, not the case. Um, in fact, um, Gabrielle Utenberg, I think I'm getting her name wrong. She, um, wrote a book called Rethinking Positive Thinking. And she actually, in her research, said, you know, you need you need the positive thinking that you need is to think about like something went like horribly wrong, right? So you need to have the optimism that we can get through this. So we've got to be able to see like, we can solve this. You know, what, what would the future look like if we solve this? So we need to see the optimism to be able to get there. Because if people can't see... Um, that it's possible to overcome something, then they just give up and they don't try. So we need that yeah. optimism. But um, and that's not what her research is. Her research is what I'm going to say next. She, you know, optimism. There's a ton of research on just the the absolute value of developing optimism in people and organizations to drive results. Because again, your belief that you can overcome it influences your actions, and your actions, div- you know, influence if we can overcome it or not. But what um, what Gabrielle says in her research is you need to basically anticipate obstacles or you need to acknowledge what's wrong. So, mm. you, know, you know, if you're trying to overcome it, like what could get in our way, what could potentially be the minefields? And um, I didn't even know what this was called because before I even studied positive psychology, we'd call it a pre-mortem. <laughs> like, all right, let's yeah. plan to make the project yeah. as successful as possible. Now let's all imagine that it, com- it failed. It completely failed. Like, what are some of the things that get in our way? So that is positive psychology. We're thinking critically through it and Interesting. going, Interesting. You know, so it's not all just, oh, just everything's okay. No, yeah. it's if things are wrong, like, and things are really bad, let's acknowledge it. 
let's believe that together we can get through it. Let's set a goal, see a positive future, and then let's develop the grit to get through it. And grit is a part of positive psychology. Angela Duckworth, yeah. who wrote it, yeah. is a UPenn professor. She yeah. was on sabbatical though. So like, she's supposed to be one of our professors and lecturing and she oh. wasn't here. And I'm like, I didn't oh, no. see Angela. Like I got, she's still on my list. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah. she's on the list of my, what I call like my podcast mentors, because I always listen to her, um, no stupid questions podcast. Mm -hmm. And so actually when you, when you mentioned Marty Seligman, cause they, they have on the no stupid questions podcast, they have like a psychology bingo card. Cause like Angela Duckworth, she always calls out certain people and Marty Seligman. It's like, okay, like she, okay, now you have to take a drink. Cause like she mentioned Marty Seligman kind of thing. Oh, like I, I probably wouldn't do well in the, in the bingo. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, and that it kind of, you know, what you're just saying really goes back to um, how you call it, you know, the science of sustained peak performance. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's right. It's just a, a, it's just like a, it's just bad branding in some ways. Yeah. Cause you hear it positive psychology, you think, you think happy, you think good. And, and, and in many cases, it's the reverse of that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, what and then when I did my research, because um, part of the master's program is at the end you have to do a capstone, which is just kind of like okay, like take a deep dive where you want to. So when I did that, and this is just doing like a literature review and looking at all the evidence and me pulling out what I think is is most beneficial to organizations, um, you know what what I found that is most relevant to organizations is not a lot of the stuff that we would call wooey. In fact, my research question specifically, Matthew was was asking, okay, what are the things that we know elevate well-being that have direct evidence? Number two, what are the the interventions or the things that not only elevate well-being, but have a direct relationship and been studied that can elevate performance or results? So that now, like probably like 90% of the studies just fell out because they don't study the impact on results. So then, sure. so then, so then I had that kind of as my filter. And then my last filter was what is going to have a high likelihood of widespread adoption or, or acceptance and adoption. So what are people not going to roll their eyes after? And mm. at one point when I was, um, it was the beginning of my program at MAP. MAP is, stands for Masters of Applied Positive Psychology, so the UPenn program. And we had an assignment to like talk to a friend or a, or a loved one about something to have a discussion. So I started having this conversation with my husband about like basically the the PERMA model I outlined and, you know, what's an area we could elevate. And we started talking about this and my husband was just being very polite, just very polite going, trying to play along. And I'm like, what is going on? He's like, this is a bunch of hooey. Like he just kind of like gave me that. And I, I loved it because I'm like, you're my audience in the workplace. Yes. There's people like you are, they're going to go, oh my God, like, you know, like this is a bunch of fluffy stuff. So my third question was what would be something that my husband, you know, who's, he's like the 55 year old white male who's been in, yeah. like, what would he actually go, huh? Like, I understand this and I would do this. So yeah. that was the stringent criteria that I came up with was those three questions. So it kind of filtered yeah. out any of the stuff that would be the woo woo. Well, then I feel like we have the logical conclusion or near conclusion of the discussion of, are there like, you're thinking about you know, speaking to talent developed professionals inside a company, they don't have a big team, they're leading, you know, leadership development, performance development, or, you know, courses within their organization. What are a couple things that pass those litmus tests, yeah. you know, that apply to performance or evidence backed, and that, 
your husband <laughs> would be like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. So at a very high level, um, and you can always give your listeners like a link to the entire you know, oh, page, like they're probably not going to write, but, um, but they can just read the abstract, but, um, absolutely. So the, the three things are what I call positive mindsetting, which is, you know, people who are doing talent development is what could they add to their program that includes basically growth mindset. It's like, how do we take what Carol Dweck taught us about growth mindset, which a lot of it is focused on kids and schools, but how do we develop that growth mindset in the organization? And normally we don't do that. We What we do in organizations is we think about like, okay, what are the skills people need to do their job? They need to learn how to do accounting better and like, and, and learn about the products and how to sell. And we do all the selling skills. So, you know, what I would suggest is let's of course teach people definitely like how to do their job better, but also Let's teach them some, just some core skills. Doesn't take a lot of time that can help with that sustained peak performance. So one is people for people to understand that that growth mindset that maybe they're not great at something right now, but with hard work and effort they can get better over time. So growth mindset number one. Also, um, the mindset around stress. Um, I'm sure you're hmm. familiar with um, like Kelly McGonigal or Aaliyah Crum are some leading researchers on on stress mindset. So. Okay. Um, one thing that you can add into the learning is that stress is not bad for you. It's not going to kill yes. you. That's what everyone yes. thinks, right? Stress can be the stepping stones to make us stronger and better. And your beliefs on stress impacts your reaction to stress. So Aaliyah yes. Krum, like I'm going to be really quick with this one because I know I have two more things to go through, but like Aaliyah Krum did the study. It was at UBS, that big finance company, like high stress, like, you know, and her intervention was everyone had to watch a video that was, I don't remember how many minutes it was, like 10 minutes. Like everyone in the organization had to watch a video. They didn't know that half people were watching a video that said, stress is horrible. It's going to kill you. Oh my God. Like stress is the worst thing ever. You want to eliminate it. The other half of the organization watched a video, same length of time that said stress is something that challenges you to be your best. It makes you smarter. It makes you stronger. So it's like exact same video, but one said stress is horrible. One stress is better. And then she measured performance. And she measured health outcomes. So like performance statistically significantly better if someone just watched a 10 minute video mm -hmm. learning that stress, we can't, we can't, I mean, the one thing we're not gonna be able to change, Matthew, is organizations, we're not gonna take away work and we're not gonna let people just come in and whistle and relax and take naps. Like we're gonna, people are gonna work hard and there's gonna be challenges and there'll be adversity. There will be stress. That is, that is not realistic to change that. We yeah. need to make people better at stress and just changing yes. the mindset of stress is one of them. So statistical significant difference in workplace satisfaction, performance, and health outcomes. She actually measured um, HbA1c, blood sugar, and blood pressure. That's so 10-minute video. So you know yeah. your you know your listeners could look into that. So so in general, it's like mindset, growth mindset, uh, how we per perceive stress, and then also positivity. Um and then the, the second really bucket in my mental fitness model is about um, applying positive psychology to the goal setting process. And I work with so many clients and when you talk about goal setting, it, it, it's like performance management, like, oh, kill me now. Like, oh, God. Yes. We're, I, and we're, we just finished up that phase. You know, it's end oh, of year, God. performance yeah. reviews, goal setting. Yeah. People like hate it. That is such a miss. Goal setting should be such a positive, inspiring thing. So I developed um, a, a model on how to smash your goals. It's just an, an acronym of SMASH. 
Um, and each of the letters is like a, po- a little positive psychology, like boost that can oh, help. Very cool. Yeah. So, you know, so um, again, all that will be like linked. So we're going to, and I'm not, it's nothing against smart goals, love smart goals, but if you want to smash the goals and let's, 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 um, you know, apply positive psychology in, in the goal setting process. And it's, um, so there's that. And then the last thing, um, which we should spend more time on it, which is positive connecting. It's really teaching people that, um, for us to achieve the most at work and to be the happiest at work, we need to focus on positive connecting. Um, and there's really three elements of that, which is when we're struggling or when we're unsure, we should ask people for help. So teaching the skill of who are five, six, seven people at work that are going to be on your Rolodex. This is the person with the expertise. This is the person that I can, I, I can ask um, or I can vent to. I can, you know. So we need to ask for help. That's going to help us achieve our challenging goals. We also need to always be scanning for people in our work environment that might need help, because there's a lot of evidence on pro-social behavior. Like if you help someone, not only does it help them be more successful and elevates their well-being at work, you actually get a big lift in your well-being when you help someone else. And then, and then last is creating an environment of just positive um, interactions. So um, high quality connections or high quality interactions, it comes out of U- University of Michigan. And there's so much science behind how when there's positive interactions between people and you can teach people how to do it, it creates energy. Like if I meet you, Matt, when you and I met and we're like, if, if I see you in the hallway and go, hey, what's how's your weekend? And you know, it just if I do something positive, it can even just be like one or two minutes, that positivity. Yeah, it doesn't take a lot of time. Yeah. Goes, so it creates energy in the workplace, yeah. which is the engine of getting things yeah. done. So so as I applied those that criteria there, like mindset, we need the mindset that that that's critical to per- peak performance. As yep. we're achieving really challenging goals, then mm-hmm. we should apply the SMASH framework to help achieve those goals or smash those goals. And we've got to be intentional about teaching people how to build positive connections that are going to, that are going to not only serve our people, but it's going to serve the business and drive the business. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to have to have you back on, especially as you start applying this more in organizations and dive deeper into each one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to make sure to protect your time for tonight. You've been so gracious. Thank you so much for being here. So I want to close out with the three questions that we kind of always try to close out the show of, you know, you just finished your master's, so it might be hard for you to identify one book, but if you could come down to one book or podcast that people should listen to, um, what would you recommend right now? Just one. I have like five written down here. No, just one. Exactly. Um, you know what? I would say Positivity by Barbara Fredrickson. Okay. I love that book. And the reason why is sometimes people think, and this is just great for them at work because she talks about the benefit of, of, positivity or positive affect, positive mood, basically, and how it expands our cognitive ability. It makes us more able to make those positive connections. So she she outlines why it's great um, at work, but she really talks about how it can help individual people thrive, um, all the science behind it. So it's fantastic. It's a short read. It's, it's practical. Um, right. And a lot of people think mistakenly, and I was just at a book club last night, and I don't know how it came up, but um, you know, um, I, I was kind of making the point that we can generate our own emotions. Like, um, yes, and someone's like, no, 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 no. Like, we emotions have to us, and they just have. I'm like, no, there's a book. Maybe it'll be our next book club. Is, um, but it really it, it teaches people how 
they can generate the emotions needed in order to best serve mm-hmm. their life, their meeting as a leader. So it's it's a lot of emotional intelligence. It's emotional intelligence, but it, it she gives strategies on how you can do it. Like, you know, you, you know, if you need to change your emotional state to be most effective to lead a meeting, here's how. So yeah. it kind of, I, nice. you know, yeah. So, so that'd be a great one. I think everyone, everyone should read it. Perfect. Have you, speaking of the, you know, emotions, have you read how emotions are made? No. Right. Oh, you got to pick that book up. I thought that was the book you were referencing earlier. Uh, okay. How emotions are made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. Very, oh. very great. Very cool book. I have, I love that because I have read other books by her, like the seven and a half. Okay. Yes. About the brain. Yep. So yes, I, I know her work. She's a brilliant scientist. So yep. I'm, Thank you. I will. I will yeah. put that on my list. Mm-hmm. Absolutely great. Um, okay. So then, when you think back on, you know, you've had quite the career, uh, spanned lots of different places. If you had to think of one skill that has most helped you be successful in life, what would you pick? Um, probably just I. You're asking for a skill, but just what comes to mind is. I love challenges. So I'm comfortable with discomfort. I get energized by it. Yeah. I kind of got that, that grit, you know? So I think for me, always seeking like to do something new and different and to challenge myself, um, that has led to better fulfillment because I just love learning and growing, but also it's led to my success in my career instead of staying kind of stagnant in the position. So if I were to boil it down to one, it would be that yeah, that seeking out the skill would be maybe it's maybe it's mindset, developing the mindset that I can do more and then picking yeah. that next goal and setting those, you know, setting goals that are outside of my comfort zone and then tenaciously going after it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So then and then also you've in your career, you've worked with a lot of different organizations. Mm-hmm. As you think about the organizations you've worked with, what is the most common opportunity you see for organizations to improve their talent development practices? Um, gosh, I feel like I could go on for an hour there. Yeah, um, that's the, the challenge. Part of boil it down is as talent development professionals, and I consider my I'm part of that because I partner with companies to get it right. We need to put as much effort into thinking about not just what's in the solution, the workshop but what's going to happen after it drives yes. me crazy when yes. they call me and they want to throw money at me, come in and do a workshop. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about what are you going to do before to set the stage? And then here's all the stuff you're going to have to do after to really make sure that these skills stick. And I, if a client is not interested in the conversation or say, no, 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 no. We just want you to come in and speak. I'll say, I don't, I don't work with you. Like I, I'm interested yeah. in only creating meaningful change. So I think, as talent development professionals, we need to be thinking about not just what's the great workshop, but spend at least half of our time thinking about what are we going to do to help make sure that the skill that they've learned can be practiced again and again in the workplace. And that's our job because our employees and companies, they are trying to learn and grow and they'll sign up for workshops and they'll go and they'll learn and they'll be excited and they'll have this great action plan. And most of the time, they, it just fades and they don't, yeah. it's not lasting. So we have to help them as an organization. We need to support the stickiness of it. So I think as, 
as the instructional designers of talent development, we're like, well, we're going to do a good thing and we're just going to make them like, Pinky promise you're going to do it. You're going to, you promise you're going to do it. Okay, good. And then we just let them go. And they, they need, we need to focus more on the science of habit. Like how do we yeah. integrate that stuff in the implementation? So I think we just need to spend a lot more time on that. Let's, let's actually teach people less and make sure it sticks. And I think we're going to yes. be effective. Oh. That's that's the phrase right there. Yeah. Let's teach people less, but make sure it sticks. Like yes. that that's that's it right there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Jill, I'm I'm really happy you took time out of, you know, we're we're recording this in the middle of the holidays, like everybody's busy. So thank you so much for being here today. This is really great. I definitely got a lot out of this. I'm sure all the listeners did. Um so thank you so much. Um and have a great end to your year. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's so, so fun seeing you again and talking about this important subject. Um, and it was an absolute honor to be on your podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Bye, All everybody. Right. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full-service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.